Anyway, let's go. Hey, uh, y'all ready for today? We are, it says week four, but it's actually week five of our series, Anatomy of a Disciple. Today, if you want to turn there, if you got a Bible, we're going to be in primarily in Matthew chapter seven. Um, and, but if you don't, we're, we're going to bring it up on, on the screen. So, but in, in Matthew chapter seven, it is the ending of it, the end of the message of Jesus' most famous message he ever preached. Anybody know what it is? Sermon on the Mount, absolutely. Sermon on the Mount takes place between uh, Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. And the, the, the chapter leading up to that in, in chapter 4 is where Je- Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist. He's then, the Bible says, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights where he doesn't eat. He's tempted by the devil. And then there's this profound statement. Verse 2 of chapter 4, that's just like, wow. You ever read something that go like, wow. That, that you really need a th- theological degree to understand this statement. But it says this in Matthew 4, 2. For 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus fasted and didn't eat, and he became very hungry. Isn't that profound? Come on. Some of y'all can't even go four hours, and you're like, run me through a Taco Bell. Give me something. For, why? why you like that? Of course he was hungry. 40 days and 40 days. Well, of course. Why would he put that? Here's why I believe that that was placed there. Because the Bible, God wanted us to know, just like we, we get hungry, Jesus got hungry. Just like we get tempted by Satan, Jesus got tempted by Satan. Just like Satan comes at us in our weakest, most vulnerable moments, he came at Jesus that way. And I, I think what it was, what was happening here in this wilderness, well, it, it was like a life lesson that Jesus lived out as a rabbi saying, this is how it's done. You're going to be tempted. Things are going to go come at you. It was a life uh, object lesson. Uh, Jesus comes out of that wilderness. He begins his public ministry. And verse 17 of chapter 4 kind of sets the pace for the rest of this. Um, From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins, turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Again, we've said this, repent has gotten a bad word because most of us, if you're unchurched, when you hear the word repent, what do you think about? Some guy on a street corner with a bullhorn saying, turn or burn. You're going to hell, turn or burn. And I don't know about you, but that always softens my heart when everybody, somebody tells me I'm going to hell. It just does something. Okay, let's move on. I'm just going to 9 a.m., man. Y'all, y'all got to, 11 a.m. has got to step it up. No, I'm joking. Uh, but uh, Jesus says, hey, the kingdom of heaven is near. And then Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, basically is Jesus saying, hey, here's what a picture of the kingdom of heaven looks like. Here's what it looks like. But we, we did a whole series in May of 2021, so I'm not going to go over, the, over all that. But one of the best definitions of what the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God looks like, author and theologian uh, Dallas Willard says this, gave this definition. The kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will where what God wants done gets done. That's the kingdom of God. 
And Jesus basically in the Sermon on the Mount is telling us, hey, here's what it looks like when you live life in my presence. Here's what life can be when you live life under the rule, under the reign of God. Here's what it can look like. See, a lot of times we think of the afterlife. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, that's when we die. Well, come on. Anybody, I, when I grew up, we sung a lot of songs about can't wait to get to heaven. Right? Some glad morning. Anybody remember? And the sweet by, I mean, we sung. And while I'm looking forward to that day, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount was saying, hey, no, this is about what life can be like right now. Right now. We weren't saved just so that we could look forward to the day we get to heaven. Come on. We were saved for a purpose. God has a purpose and a plan. But let's, let's move on. Matthew 5, 7, Jesus showing what it looks like. So when Jesus wraps up the Sermon on the Mount, thank you so much, Pastor Ben. Uh, it, Jesus ends chapter 7 with these words, or it ends with these words. By the time Jesus finished speaking, the crowds were awestruck by his teaching because his words carry such great authority, quite like the religious scholars. You, huh? Quite unlike the religious scholars. Do you know why the people, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, what frightened them most about Jesus? Was he spoke with authority. And the people recognized that he carried an authority that the, that the religious leaders didn't carry. Anybody remember what? Uh, Jesus was a rabbi with what? Smika. Smika. It, it meant they, they, these, these were rabbis at another level because these rabbis here, they had the ability to interpret the text. And, and they recognized that in Jesus. And, and by the time Jesus comes on the scene, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers, these various rabbis, they had come up with this complex system of what it was to follow God. I, I, here, get this. They broke it down. They had 613 rules, not just 10 commandments. They had 613 rules, 248 commands, 365 prohibitions, and get this, they even added 1,521 recommendations. For, for instance, like where it says, hey, uh, uh, the third commandment says you shall not misuse the name of the Lord. Here's what they would do. Their recommendations don't even say God's name at all. Don't even chance it. So that's how they did with it. Sexual temptation, get this one of my favorite ones. The Pharisees, religious, a lot of them, they would walk around with their head down. So they wouldn't be able to look up and get tempted by any, any woman. Because you know how good women look in a long burqa. Uh, I probably just offended somebody. That's all right. <laughs> So there were no yoga pants in those days. But they would keep their heads down. And get this, some of them, there was a group that became known as the bleeding Pharisees. You know why? Because they would put their head down to the extent where they would run into doors, they'd run into walls, they'd run into things, and they would actually start bleeding from their head. Imagine that today. We couldn't. We couldn't buy enough bandages for you people. No. <laughs> Man, y'all, y'all rough crowd today. Today it has gone from that to the phone. 
They told me what you were going to say, Anthony, so I used it before you could. So anyway, <laughs> Jesus was this rabbi with Shemekha, this rabbi with the authority to interpret text. He comes on the scene, and he takes all these numerous rules and regulations, and he kind of blows it out of the water. And here's what Jesus was basically saying when he came on the scene and began to change things. He's basically telling the religious leaders, the Pharisees, listen, if you're more spiritual than the word of God, you're too spiritual. Come on, you ever known somebody like that? They're more spiritual than what the word of God says. They judge you more than the word of God does. And Jesus says, hey, hey, listen, you've taken away the simplicity of what God says. And you've added to it so much so, now what was meant to be something that sets people free has now become a burden to them to carry around. People didn't even like the Sabbath day because there were so many regulations. And that's another, I, we've talked about that. But, but And when you read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, there's a phrase Jesus uses at least six times. It's this phrase, you've heard it said. He didn't say it is written. He says, you, you've heard it said. Why, why doesn't he say it is written? Because he understands everything that the Pharisees or religious leaders have added to it. This is what you've heard said, but I say, here's what the real deal is, guys. And here's the thing. While Jesus respected and elevated the scriptures, he tore down what the religious leaders had added to it and made life a hell for the people. Amen. He came against it. See, the goal of a disciple, of every disciple, in that day and even now, was not just to know what their rabbi knew. The goal was this, to become just like their rabbi. Become just like them. And in Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus wants his followers, he wants his disciples to know that what their teacher, what he is saying, it is actually what is the real deal. That these other things, those are, no, no, here's what God really says. And Jesus wraps up the Sermon on the Mount with these words of advice. And that's where we're going to be today. Matthew 7, starting with verse 24 through 27. Jesus says, everyone who hears my teaching and applies it to his life can be compared to a wise man who built his house on an unshakable foundation. When the rains fell and the flood came with fierce winds beating upon his house, it stood firm because of its what? Then look, 26. But everyone who hears my teaching and does not apply it to his life can be compared to a foolish man who built his house on sand. When it rained and rained and the flood came, with the wind and waves beating up on his house, it collapsed and was swept away. What's Jesus doing here? He's calling for a decision to be made. He said, hey, here's the guys. You, you, you go, if you want to be my follower, here's the decision you got to make. Either you can go on your own preconceived ideas, you can go on, on what you've been told, the, the religious establishment of the day, or you've got to choose between them and what I'm saying to you right now. There, he said there has to be a decision made that, but what, what, uh, about whether you're going to follow me or your, what you, your personal preferences are. 
See, Jesus is making the statement that whenever there is conflict between him and culture, whenever there's conflict between him and political correctness, him or, or, or God's word, the, 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 the choice, the side to be on is always his. You cannot choose. Uh, I love this story. Somebody, I was trying to remember the pastor that said that they said, hey, which side's which side God on his side? God's not on, he's not a Republican. He's not Democrat. He's on his side. And that's, that's the side we need to be on. And when, when our political beliefs, when our culture, it, when it trumps what God says, we got a problem. We got a problem. Did you just say yes, sir? My wife, wow. It's kind of sexy, babe. Let's do that at home. Anyway, back to it. Hey, here's, I'm going to give you four truths today. The first one is, if you're taking notes, everyone builds their life on something. Everyone, those watching online, those in-house, everyone is building their lives on something, let me add, or someone. You're building your life. It doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is, what your ethnicity is, whether you're rich or poor. You're building your life on something. Jesus knew that, and he didn't try to be PC with it. He said, hey, if you're wise, you'll build your life on a firm, solid foundation. You'll build your life on what I'm saying. But if you're foolish, you're going to build it on the sand. That doesn't sound very, very PC. If you're smart, you'll do it this way. If you're stupid, you'll do it that way. Come on. I'm going to tell you, if Jesus was speaking like this in today's time, in, in today's culture, they would, we would crucify him. Oh, wait, they did that to him, didn't, didn't they? Because they didn't like what was being said. Building on, see, see when, uh, I, I'm not a builder, built, builder? I'm not a builder, uh, you ask my wife. I'm, in fact, I, I'm horrible at building and fixing things. Uh, but, but I knew know this, that digging is hard, especially if you want to dig down to something solid to build on. It, it's tough. Now, if you want to build on sand, hey, go out there. We, every year we have with our, with our youth at our youth camp, we have this uh, sandcastle building competition. And they'll go out there and they get really creative. But how many know we come out there the next morning? It's gone. But, but digging on something solid requires effort. You got to dig deep, dig deep. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6, verse 47, 48. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'm going to show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Who and, and Which means... Put some effort into their walk with God. Are you hearing me? Put, they, they dug. They begin to dig. Hey, what's it say? What's it mean here? And they dug down deep. I love the way the passion lays it out. Check this out. Let me describe the one who truly follows me and does what I say. He is like a man who chooses the right place to build a house, then lays a deep and secure foundation. When the storms and floods rage against that house, it continues to stand strong and unshaken through the tempest, for he built it wisely on the right foundation. Verse 49, but the one who has heard my teaching and does not obey it is like a man who builds a house without laying any foundation at all. 
when the storms and floods rage against that house, it will immediately collapse and become a total loss. And he asks, which of these two builders will you be? That's the million-dollar question today. Which of these two builders were you going to be, the wise one, the foolish one? Jesus says, if you're wise, you'll, you'll listen to my words and build a firm foundation around them. And when you do that, it'll survive anything that this world throws at you. But if you're foolish, you'll build your life on your own opinions, on your own beliefs, on what culture says is right and wrong, on your own personal preferences or your peer group. And while that's a lot easier, when the storm comes, and there will be storms, you'll see how much your foundation was. See, here's the thing. The success of these two builders, it, it wasn't determined on the information given to them. Both of them were given the same information. The success was determined on what they did with that information. And the second truth is this. Information does not lead to transformation. Application of that transformation of that uh, information leads to transformation. See, the, the entire sermon on the mount is a lesson on you want a good life? Here are the things. Here's about the life, the kind of life that you can have when you live it in the presence in, in, under his rule and reign and power. It covers a ton of topics. I'm talking the, uh, Matthew 5 alone, uh, the kind of life God blesses, our purpose, salt and light, uh, God's word about it being our standard of truth. It talks about how we're supposed to relate to people, how we should treat people. It talks about anger, unforgiveness, reconciliation, judging others, settling our settling our differences with others that, we, that we've uh, had some disputes with. Uh, it talks about God's standard when it comes to sexual purity and marriage. It talks about our, the integrity of our words and how important they are, uh, the promises we make. Uh, in ver chapter 6, it talks about how we're supposed to care for the poor, how, about prayer and fasting, our attitudes about what, our possessions and about money, our tendency to worry, especially nowadays, and it talks about our priorities in life. See, Jesus, man, says there are only, when you read this in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Jesus says, listen, there are only two gates for you to choose from. The wide gate and the narrow gate. The wide gate, it's easy. It's easy. There are a lot of options. You can go all over the road. That's some of y'all do. But that road will lead to destruction. That road will lead to an unfulfilled life. And you'll always be jumping off the exit because this, oh, this seems like it'll fulfill me. No, let me get back on. Now oh, this seems like it'll fulfill me. Then you get back on. And it always leaves you unfulfilled. But Jesus says the narrow gate, it's not as easy, but it leads to life. It leads to purpose. It leads to fulfillment. Will there be, here's the thing. There are going to be storms on both roads. Are you hearing me? I mean, in verse, uh, Jesus is so, un, he's, he is not PC at all. In verses 15 and 20 of 7, he talks about the kind of fruit your life can produce. And he basically stops and says, hey, what kind of fruit do you want to produce? You know, you want, you, if you live according to my truth, you're going to produce good fruit. But hey, if you don't, it may look good, but when you bite into it, you're going to find out how bad it is. 
And then in verse 20 and 23, Jesus just, he's like, well, I'm all in at this point. I might as well go. And he doesn't try to water it down. He gets very direct. He says, hey, you know what? There's a day coming when there's going to be this long line of people standing up, coming to see me. Some of these people, man, they had success in different areas. They, they, what they look like on the outside appear to be great. But when they get to me, I'm going to sadly look at them and say, I never knew you. Matthew 7, 21 says like this. Not everyone who calls me to, out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father. Wow. The message, I love Eugene Peter. Peter's uh, paraphrasing says this. Knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience, doing what my Father wills. Man. And then that's when right after that is when Jesus sums up the whole thing with this story about the wise builder and the foolish builder. Look how Eugene Peterson translates this story. Verse 24. Jesus said, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. You hear that? What I'm saying to you are not just some incidental additions to your life. They're not some homeowner improvements to, to make your standard of living better. They are, say it with me. They're, they're what? They're actually foundational, but I missed up. They're foundational words. Words to build a life on. Then he says this. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house because it was fixed to the rock. But... If you just use my words in Bible studies, if you just use my words for, words for creative means, if you just use my words to put on T-shirts, if you just use my words to post an encouraging message on Facebook, if you just use those words for those things and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. And when a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. Wow. She said, make a decision. If you're going to be my disciple, you can't simply just know my words. You've got to work them into your life, your everyday life. You've got to work them into how you treat people. You've got to work them into your marriage. Come on. You've got to work them. Uh, you got to work the, the words I'm saying to you. When you go into work and your boss is being the jerk, you've got to work these words into your life. When, you're, when, when you go to a restaurant and maybe that waiter or waitress isn't getting your food out exactly as fast, you got to work these words into your life. Now I'm just meddling. Where you go, what you say, how you act, we have to work Jesus' words into our life. Jesus is saying this, the information that I'm giving you, that won't lead to transformation unless you apply it. Jesus 6.33, Jesus said this, Seek first 
What? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. See, as a follower of Jesus, here's what I've got to decide. As a disciple, the question that we should be asking ourselves on a daily basis is this. Am I living my life in the big kingdom of God or in the little kingdom of me? Maybe we say, am I living my life for the big kingdom of God or for the little kingdom of me? Because let me tell you, coming to church, hearing some worship songs, listening to me preach to you 40, 40, 40, 45 minutes is not going to change anything in your life if you do not apply it. Information doesn't lead to transformation. Application leads to it. Guys, we've got to act on what we've been given. James 1.22 says this. Don't just listen to God's word. Do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. I love the way the Amplified Version says it. Prove yourselves doers of the word, actively and continually obeying God's precepts, and not merely listeners who hear the word but fail to internalize its meaning, deluding yourselves by unsound reasoning contrary to the truth. Is that not a picture of what's going on today? Unsound reasoning around things that do not line up with God's truth. Let me tell you, if what you're reading what you're hearing, what you're listening to when it comes to God's word, if it's not leading to transformation in your life, you might want to back up and reapproach how you hear. Because this is what you, if you're taking notes, what you hear relates to the content you take in. What you hear. In Mark 4, leading up to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is telling this parable about the sower. He's telling this parable about, about the, uh, the lamps and, and all that. Then he stops in the middle of those parables and says this. Bring that up. He added, pay close attention to what you hear. Jesus, though, why would he stop and say, hey, 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 pay close attention to what you hear. Come on, parents. You ever done that with your kids? Hey, 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 hey. I am talking to you. And just hey, 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 I know there's voices out there telling you other things. Voices on the news, voices on social media, voices here, voices at work, voices at school. Hey, 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 pay close attention because what you're letting in matters. Pay close attention. Next, how you hear relates to your attitude. Attitude matters when it comes to hearing the word of God. Come on, what, what, are you, what, what attitude do you approach hearing the word of God? What attitude do you come to? Well, I mean, do you, is it, uh, do you approach God's word with, uh, are you complacent? Are you arrogant? Are you very surface only? Are you trying to make the word work around with what you believe? Or are you humble, eager to learn? Are you ready to hear what it says and then adjust your attitude to what it says? Can I give you some ways to help you engage and, and better and, and uh, when my, so, some ways to, to make it apply better when either I'm preaching or one of the other pastors is, is preaching to you? Here's some ways to make it. These are not in your notes. I should have put them in there. But here's one way. Get here early. 
and come in expecting that God's presence is going to be here. I would even add this because here's something we've been doing over the past couple weeks is our praise team finishes up preaching. We've got our ushers and greeters, all our areas of ministry. At 8.20 a.m., we bring them in here. We put a worship song on, and we walk around this place praying. And then we come together at the end of that. And has it been, has it created a different atmosphere? I, I tell you, when you come in here, come in here expecting. Second, engage in worship. This is not engaging. Mm, oh, man. How many, song, how many times are they going to sing this chorus? Blah, blah, I put my trust in Jesus. Blah, blah, blah. Yes, I have. That's what, Kelly, I'm not used to the kind of worship y'all are doing. That's, I understand that. My wife grew up Baptist. So, you know, first, first Pentecostal or Spirit-filled service was a little different for her. But I'm going to tell you, even if you have to do like Tim Hawkins, Start small when you worship. Get your hands down here. Fingers out. You're worshiping right now. You're worshiping. Then maybe you get here. Carrying that box. Carrying that box. Then maybe you grow from there and you get to that widescreen TV. You're carrying that widescreen TV. Before you know it, you're at touchdown. You're going all out. But get engaged in worship. Sing the songs. Hear the words. Can I tell you this? Even if you're not feeling it, when you begin to declare it, Something will change inside of you. Uh, here's a good one. Pray for whoever's teaching. Pray for whoever's teaching. Man, we need it. And I don't say that jokingly. We need your prayers. Get engaged in the message. I'm going to give you some tips on how to get engaged. That bulletin, if you turn that over, you could take notes there. And Kelly's at it, yes, because me, man, I forget things. But if I write down, even if you say, man, this really stuck out to me, write it down and, be, and, and go look into it or talk. Hey, what, what, let's, what, what did he mean when he said this? It's something you, I don't know if I agree with that. Write it down. Come to me. Let's, let's talk. But I'm going to tell you, if when you engage in the message, it's no longer about just showing up and doing your time and leaving. But it's something changing in you. Here's a, ask Holy Spirit, you know what, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to say to me today? What is it you're saying? And then put into practice, do what it says. But number three, let's, let's hurry along with this. Third truth is this, the only thing predictable about storms is that they are inevitable. They will come. Storms will come. Jesus tells this story, and, and what he wants his listeners to know is, hey, the question is not if a storm comes, it's when a storm comes. Because Jesus knows it's coming. It doesn't matter if you're a, a believer. If you're not a believer, storms are coming. Storms are coming. What makes it through to the other side of that storm is going to be, turn, going to be determined on what you built your life on. How you come through that storm. Storms are inevitable. Storms like, I think I want a divorce. I'm not happy anymore. Or a phone call that says, hey, there was an accident. Storms. Storms, hey, we're downsizing. We're going to have to lay you off. Hey, we're going to have to file bankruptcy. I blew it in my sobriety this week. 
storms are coming. Yes, some of the storms will be because of dumb decisions that we've made, but that doesn't make them any less hurtful or painful. They're still storms. Storms of a son and daughter that you're trying to walk through that are making some crazy choices. Storms. Storms of that doctor's report that tells you you've got a terminal illness. Storms of an illness that they don't even know what it is and you can't get help. And you've been praying, but it's like nothing's happening. Storms of the loss of a child. The loss of a parent. See, Jesus knows. He said, guys, it matters what you build your life on because it's not a matter of if a storm comes. It's when the storm comes. Jesus said this, Matthew 7, 24. The rain came down and the streams rose. Let's stop right there. We've had a lot of rain here lately, haven't we? And with rain comes flooding. It just keeps rising. The water keeps rising. You know why the water keeps rising? Because it keeps raining. Storms can be relentless. I mean, let's think about this COVID thing. If I'm going to be honest with you, and I think some of you felt the same thing, if you're honest. When COVID hit, I thought, hey, three or four months down the road, we'll be back to normal. Here we are two and a half years later. And the word is now new normal. And we think, man, will it ever stop raining? You know, you know how I decide where I'm going on vacation now? I know this is a first world problem. What what country doesn't have COVID restrictions? That's where I'm going. Two and a half years later. Wonder will it ever stop raining? Wonder when can we get back to the way things used to be? Jesus says the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house. You're been in a rain, it's raining, raining, but then the wind picks up and begins to blow that rain against the house. And man, it's like, good Lord, it is storming. Not only do I have the rain to continue or contend with, now I've got that wind whipping and beating against my house. Will it ever end? Storms do that. Come on, you make it through the first round of storms. And before you even have time to catch a breath, bam, here comes another storm. And now you're not only having to deal with the abundance of rain, but now you're having to deal with the wind on top of that. And then if they call for snow, you're having to deal with all the crazy people at Walmart that are buying up everything. It's like one thing, one thing, one thing. I mean, it would be one thing if it was just a pandemic that hit us. It hit. Then the economy. Things begin to get uncertain. But then on top of that, Racial and social crisis began to rip away at our country. Then after that, we've got kids that one week they're in school, next week they're out of school. One week we're in, one week we're online. You've got teachers and, and parents that are like, what's going on? Then you've got kids that get bored. 
And you got it, they go out to these social media apps and begin to look at things they never should have looked at, participate in things they shouldn't be participating in, not knowing that on the other end are sexual predators. I mean, one thing if it was just the rain, but now we've got all this other. I mean, one thing if it was just a pandemic, but now suicide rates, depression rates are at an all-time high. And it gets hard to hear the truth above all the noise. And the wind grows, and it gets louder and louder every day. See, here's the thing. When a storm hits, the decisions we made before the storm will determine how we respond during the storm. Now listen, that, that's not to say that just because you made bad decisions that got before the storm that you can't get through. You can, but it's going to take some effort. The fourth and final truth today, if I get the team to come on. The foundation you build your life on isn't just an option. It will determine the outcome of your life. The foundation. See, the huge part of the anatomy of a disciple is actually doing what he says to do. Obeying his word. You want to build your life on a firm foundation so that when storms do hit, you know, man, this is bad right now, but because of my foundation... I'm going to survive this. I may have to replace a wall. I may have to replace a roof. I may have to replace, but the foundation is going to be good, and I can build back on it. Stand with me. Jesus said, in these words I'm speaking to you, they're not just incidental additions to your life. They're not just some home makeover options for you to consider. What I'm saying to you are foundational words. They are words to build your life upon. He says, if you work these words, if you begin to work them into your life, don't just be yours, but work them into your life. If you'll begin to do that, you're like the builder who built his house on a solid rock. And when it rained and poured, when tornadoes hit, when everything, when everybody else around them is losing left and right and their house is fine, you've got this going, hey, 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 nothing will move your house because you're built on the rock. Anybody going through some storms? See, I, I believe we're all in one of three places. We're either coming out of the storm, we're riding the eye where it's peaceful, or we're going into it. Well, those are encouraging words. I'm just being honest. What matters, what, how you make it out on the other side is your foundation that you built your life on. Two gates, wide and narrow. Why? There are a lot of options. 
Now, one, one of the funny, me and Casey were talking about this, about, you know, our CR and everything. You may have heard this phrase, Danny and Melinda, but they're coming out, Cal, what they call it, California sober. Meaning, hey, I can still smoke a little weed. I still, that's, it's California sober. What are they doing? They're trying to rationalize or something, their life on something other than the truth. I have a feeling a lot of Christians are doing that today. I've done it. Let me be real. I've done it. I've rationalized behavior. I've rationalized things I've said and done. But when I put it, see, what, what we're terrible at doing is comparing ourselves to people worse than us. I mean, according to TMZ, I'm a great dad compared to Jamie Lynn Spears. You know. But when we compare it to who Jesus is, I fall in, I fail in comparison. And that's why I gotta build my life on something solid. And that solid rock is him. Anybody in a storm right now? You're in a storm right now. Step out and come up here. Come on. Come on, step out. You're in a storm right now? Step out, come up. Prayer team, come on up. Come on up. Come on up. I know there's more people in this in a storm. Your storm may look different. Listen, it may just be raining right now, and you're thinking, you're hoping, hold on a your, your mindset with me, I can survive a little rain. I'm telling you, get to it before it hits. You going through a storm? You going through a storm? I'm telling you. Casey, pray for Jeff and Wendy right here. I'm going to have them sing this song again. We're going to keep it low so that they can hear you praying over them. But I want you to sing and begin to declare these things. And if you didn't, if you didn't come up hey, when it was called, listen, feel free to come up any time. Because I believe God is going to say, hey, I am secure. You can count on me. Come on, Bob.